you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12 is where we're going to focus today. And so if you have that either paper form, digital form, however you access God's Word. If you're not familiar with looking up Scripture and uh, or don't have an access to a Bible, we'll have most of the Scriptures on the screen here today where you can follow along. And so we, uh, we started a couple weeks ago at Easter this series called uh, Upright Views. Basically, how do we live in such a way where we get our heads from just walking through life kind of downtrodden to actually having an upright view, a, a proper view of who God is, so that then once we have that proper view and we're seeing things through the right lens, then all of a sudden the way we interact with other people, the way we see ourselves, the way that we even see our circumstances, the way we see troubles and blessings, they all begin to be seen through a different optics, through a different lens that allows us to understand why they're there. Why did I interact with this person this week? Why did this trouble come into my life? And it gives me an upright view. I don't know about you, but it is very easy in this world to, uh, especially when you have one of these, to walk around face down all the time. I mean, I catch myself doing it way too often. Like, as I'm preparing this message, I'm like, yeah, keep your head up, keep your head up. I'm like, all week. Like, I'm like walking through, just doing that. I mean, have you ever, have you ever done this? Like, I get bored so easily now, right? I mean, with a phone, like, I'm standing at an elevator. I was like, oh, it's at the 30th floor. Like, it's going to take it two minutes to get down. Enough time to play a game, right? So I open up, and I'm like, you do that, and I'll have the game on. I'm in the elevator. The elevator door opens, and I walk out, heading down to my and I realize this is not the 26th floor. This is the 14th floor. Like, I just got off because the door. I'm not paying attention. And it's so easy not to do, just do that physically, but it is so easy to do that spiritually. When we just walk through life, something comes our way, we get focused on one thing, and that's all we look at, and everything else passes us by, and we miss so much of what God has in store for us. And this is what it means to live in, uh, with an upright view, where we change our perspective. And so we also learned that by living in this upright view, upright did not mean uptight, right? We talked about that Easter, like that we don't have to be these uptight Christians that are like, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, you know, it's more about not living with restraint. It's actually then learning to live in freedom. That an upright view of things give us the freedom to walk as God intended us. And that's, that's the most exciting thing to me about this series is that we get to learn how to walk as God designed us to walk through this life, as he created us to do. We, we talk about often here, you know, sometimes if you're new to Christianity or you're just checking it out, your fear is like, oh my gosh, if I, if I become a Christian, God's going to make me something that I don't want to be. He's going to change me into something that I know people. And you just, you start thinking of all the bad things that could happen in your life. And we always say this. It's not that God is trying to change you into something else. God is trying to make you in what he originally designed you for. And that's to walk in freedom. That's to live in freedom. And so this is the idea that this upright view allows us to see and understand things in a new way, but it also gives us new freedom that we've never experienced before. This week in in 1 Peter, we're going to look at this concept uh, of how do we do this by understanding an upright view of the word and the concept of honor. Now, honor sounds like a nice word. It sounds like something I should want or something that I should give to others. 
When you think about honor, maybe the first thought that comes to your mind is that command in the Bible, honor your father and mother. And your parents are like, yes, that's right. Like, listen to that. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Sorry. But like we think of it that way. Or maybe you think of it as, you know, your honor. You think of somebody who's a judge or the honorable. You think of somebody who's maybe earned a title that we give them. And, you know, we go back and forth and we, we look at honor as something that we either give or something that we get. It's like this trade. Yet this is not what honor is at all. It isn't a commodity to be traded or exchanged. It isn't a type of social currency that we can use to further our standing with others or to simply gain favor with other people. Honor is much deeper than that. It's not this, hey, if I give you honor, then you give me some honor, and we just have this, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You know, if we live that way, we just all end up in this circle scratching each other's back and not doing anything. And that's not what honor is. It's not like, I'll give you a little bit, and you give me some back, and, you know, you, you help me, I'll help you. Honor has to do much more with character than it actually has to do with actions. And you can try to act honorable sometimes without having an honorable character. You can, you can, you can make yourself look honorable, but you know on the inside you really have nefarious motives in mind. You have different outcomes that you really want to see happen. And you can manipulate your actions. Honor isn't something to be obtained, collected, or hoarded. Honor isn't measured in units or degrees. Honor simply is or it isn't. You are a person of honor or you are not. And I want to be honest this morning. This is probably one of the most challenging thoughts that we'll deal with in this series and today. Because I personally, probably like you, I like to think of myself as an honorable person. I try to do more good than bad. I try to treat others with respect. I try to listen to others' opinions. I try to have an open mind. I try to follow through on my commitments. I try to do what's honorable. And while I try to do that most of the time, I think if you're honest, you would probably say this is true too, there are certainly days and times that I fall short. There are times that I should be honoring someone or acting in a certain way, and I, I lie. I get greedy. I get, let anger determine my actions instead of love. I, I get hateful. I mean, it just, something overtakes me. And then times where I, I'm not honorable at all. And so that's, what do I do with that? Do, do I lose all my honor because of one bad action in my life? So if I was honorable yesterday, and then I woke up this morning and did something bad, do I have to start from scratch? Is it like a drain and all of a sudden it's just empty again and I have to start building it from scratch once again? Is that what, if honor's a commodity, that's kind of the way it is. Like I lost some, I got to gain some more. How many bad days does it take until I'm no longer considered honorable? What must I then do to get it back? Do I have to make up for all the, my evil thoughts and actions? Do I need to prove myself again? And that's this crazy cycle that we can live in, that we will never get out of. I need to do something to make up for something. I did something this, I've got to do something better. And that's not what honor is. So if honor isn't actions or a group of actions toward others, then what is it? Honor simply stated is that my attitude and my perspective of my heart, soul, and mind toward other people. It's the attitude of my heart, soul, and mind, and my perspective of my heart, soul and mind toward other people now why is because that's how god modeled honor for us 
He honored us through Christ. And this is what we're going to see in this passage in just a minute. Through Christ, he brought honor to, uh, to man, and then man has the role to do something with honor. But it is God's perspective on us. He saw us as redeemable. He saw us as valuable enough to honor us with, with his gifts of grace and mercy. At its core, honor is about how you and I view and interact with other people. And we typically do a couple things. We either engage people with honor or disgrace. And our goal in every action, when it kind of boils down to it, is this. When I interact with somebody, I may not speak this verbally. It may not be the first thought in my mind. But typically my goal is to either build them up or tear them down. That's honor or disgrace. And we're going to see how this plays out as we look at this concept of honor. So stop and think about it for a moment. And most, almost any interaction you have with other people. So just think about it even this morning. Maybe husband and wife or with your kids or somebody on the train on the way here. And like you just had this interaction. Immediately our minds go to how is this interaction going to benefit or help me? Like how can I play this really? How can I? Or it either goes to how can I use this interaction to build up this person? And we go back and forth and back and forth. And we disgrace others and try to elevate ourselves and we honor others by elevating them over our own selves sometimes. Disgrace is when we see someone that is ahead of us, better than us, or seems to have more favor than us. And instead of giving them praise and honor, we actually try to disgrace them to make ourselves look better. You see, disgrace doesn't improve you. Instead, it tries to destroy destroy others around you so that you look better by diminishing other people. It's not that you grew. You try to make everybody else shrink below you. That's one way we try to live our lives sometimes. Now, hopefully, that's not the majority of our life. Like, that, that's a horrible place to live, and sometimes we see that in our culture play out regularly. But most people, their human state vacillate back and forth between these two states. But we do, if we're honest in our lives, there are times that we live with our own regard at the highest. And it is our goal, instead of trying to build myself up, we try to push other people down so that I stand out above the crowd. That's one way to live. But the other way to live is this. And it's through honor. Honor is the exact opposite. When we see others that are lacking, falling behind, or in need, we reach back and find a way to build them up, to bring them up to our level. We help them to grow, develop, and change in a way that we, we are kind of diminishing ourselves but not changing anything because we're elevating others. Like maybe if I left them in their brokenness, I could still look better than them. So what I do is I diminish myself by helping them grow to where I am. And all of a sudden we become equals. And that's the truth of what honor is. It's trying to bring people to the same standing and the same footing that you are before God. All right, I'm, not, I'm not talking about whether you deserve a raise or not compared to this person or that person. I'm talking about our standing before God. You see somebody lagging behind, somebody is hurting, somebody needs help. Honor is when we bring them up to our level and we invest in them. Very simply, in people's lives, we either serve as one of two kinds of stones, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning. We serve either as a cornerstone for things to be built on, or we serve as a stumbling stone to trip them up in in their lives. And we can do this with our actions, but just as much with our attitudes. 
Think about it, because a, a smile can mean a thousand different things, can it? Just because I smile at somebody doesn't mean that I like them or excited. Sometimes I'll see somebody in pain, and I'll kind of go, yeah, you deserve that one, <laughs> right? I mean, so a smile can mean a lot of different things. A frown, tears can mean many different things. Reaching out a hand can mean many different things. So it's not just with the actions that we have, but it's with the attitude behind those actions. Do you want to build up or tear down? And this is where First Peter 2, 1 through 12, focuses our view to challenge us to embrace this upright view of interacting with people the way that God does with honor. This passage is a call not to act honorably, but instead to be honorable to others that were created in the image of God. And so let's look at how uh, Peter lays this out. We're going to jump into verse 4 and 5, kind of in the middle of this passage to begin with, and it's kind of this transition verse. And so First Peter 2, 4 through 5 says this. As you come to him, a living stone, he's talking about Jesus here, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God he was chosen and precious. It means he was honored. You yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual home to be a holy priesthood, to honor spiritual, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These two verses here set the tone for the next few chapters that we're going to study together. And our, the next topics that we're going to study are going to be about learning to have a proper view of submission and suffering and stewardship and leading others. And if we don't get the idea of honor right to begin with and understand how we should actually view people as honorable creations of God, there's no way we're going to submit. There's no way we're going to be good stewards. There's no way we're going to lead people in the right way. There's no way we're going to be able to walk through suffering without trying to blame somebody else. But if we can get our view right and see people, see everybody in this room, everybody on that subway, everybody on your floor in your apartment, everybody you interact with today is honorable creations of God that have value and purpose. And it's our goal to add value to them instead of tear them down. Then that will change how we interact with everything. And that's what this study does. If we don't allow God to place the cornerstone at the beginning of our lives and really honor people, we cannot build upon that. We will challenge ourselves. It's, it's either building and bringing people into a family or, again, pushing people out of a family, making them feel more human, more of a creation of God, are less human and less a creation of God. I remember in high school, we had this uh, group of friends of mine that we, we grew up together. We were in fir- from first grade to our senior year together. And uh, it's just a group of about eight of us that just did life uh, together. And we loved each other and had fun, did some very stupid things together and did some great things together. But we, we took this class our senior year, it was graphic arts class. And this was way back. This was in the 80s when... Like, now you just print, you know, whatever. We had to, like, burn plates. If you ever know what, like, you had the, these metal plates. You had, and we, we learned as we did this that if you touched the plate burner and the light socket, it would shock you. And so, uh, so I don't know how we figured this out the first time, but here's what we figured out. The more people we added to the chain, the person who hit it on the end, the shock got even worse. And so... Uh, we, we created this group called the Flaming Desperados that you had to go through a cycle of eight people or, or eight guys 
if you could take the shock on the back end, you got to join the flaming desperados. And like it, I was looking at my yearbook the other day, and like we all signed it, the flaming desperados. I'm like, what were we? Like this is just crazy. But here I look back on it because I was trying to think of an example of like, when did somebody make me feel apart? And it was that. I mean, it was like I, there was some unity of going through some crazy pain together, but there was this identity that I shared by being invited in to be a part of a group and part of a family that they honored me enough, they viewed my life as honorable enough to invite me in and not exclude me. I wish I could say that I'd lived like that my entire life. I look back at high school and I see ways that I intentionally excluded people as well. People that weren't like me. People that thought differently than me. And I would think that they, you know, they're not like me or they're not as valuable as me. And I would exclude them. And I hate that I look back at that. And that's one of my biggest regrets is that I lived in a way that I was excluding people instead of seeing them as God's creation and valuable the way he's talking about it. He says, Jesus was a living stone. Now you are becoming living stones. What Jesus did, the way he sacrificed and honored for people, honored people, you sacrifice and honor people as well. Look at verse 6 through 8. It says this, For it says in Scripture, stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believes, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, that is the cornerstone, will become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word of God. So here's what I want you to catch this morning first in this whole idea of making it practical. I'd love to live honorable the whole time of my life. I'd love to view every person as honorable, but there are times I stumble and fall. There are times I fall short. And here's these two verses explain why. I give a very clear picture. They say, look, your interaction with Jesus is going to cause you to do one of two things. It's going to cause Jesus is going to become the cornerstone of your life. He will be what your life is built off of. And then through that, the truth of God will become your cornerstone. And you will build every part of your life off of it. And it will be perfect and holy. It's the, it's the starting point. A literal cornerstone of your life. But if you choose to work in opposition to the truth of God displayed through Christ, then Jesus is actually going to become a stumbling stone for you. He's going to trip you up. He's going to slow you down. And you're like, what? No, 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 that's not Jesus. That's not God. It seems harsh. If God loves everybody, why would he just let everybody do what they want to do? Why would he not? Why is he going to cause them to stumble? Why is he going to put barriers in their path? If he loves us, then why does he work against us? It's impossible for me to obey all the time. Can't God cut me some slack? You know, as reasonable as this sounds, I think I said gave that same speech to my parents before. Like, cut me some slack. I can't be perfect all the time. I am so glad that that is not true about the God of the universe. I am so glad that when I willingly choose to work against the truth in my life, that he does not let it go unnoticed. You see, when we move away from truth, we're actually moving towards something else. We're moving toward death and destruction. When we move away from God, we're moving away from life. And if we move away from life, we're moving toward death. 
And I'm so glad he puts barriers up in my life to stop me from moving in that direction. I'm glad he tries to say, don't go this way. Slow down. Stop. This is not the right way. And so his truth becomes a stumbling block because he loves us. Not because of his lack of love for us. You see, when we move away from truth, we're moving away from God. And as we move away from God, we're actually moving away from what he loves, which is other people as well. If I find myself not honoring other people, not viewing people as honorable creations of God, then there's a good chance in my life that I've moved away from God. And I've started down a path, a stumbling path. So how does this play out in our lives? How does this show up? There's this amazing truth because it doesn't just stop us from, from moving forward. If we are recipients of honor, then we have a choice of what to do with our lives. Honor is, again, something that we hold on to. It's something that we express. So let's look, once you understand uh, how honor is displayed in your life. So look at First Peter 2, 1 through 3. It says this. So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter lays out here how our life uh, deals with this. And the first way that we can deal with this, just like God's truth can either be a cornerstone or a stumbling block, the way that we allow that truth to flow through us, we can either be a stumbling block or a cornerstone for other people. And what Peter is talking about here in verses 1 through 3 is how you and I become stumbling blocks. We, we try to make everybody fall around us. Let me ask you this. You ever been in a season of your life where it just seems like everybody's disappointing you? Everybody's letting you down? Like nobody is good enough. Like y- your marriage just seems to be going south right now. Your kids don't even want to talk to you. You show up at work. It's like you've got the plague. Nobody, everybody's just avoiding you. Like, you know, you ask people to do something. They just like everybody. It just seems like the world is against you where you seem to always be right and everybody else seems to be wrong. And you can't quite figure out how you got so wise and all of a sudden everybody else got so dumb and foolish. You ever had one of those days? How do we keep standing when everyone else is stumbling? Do we ever stop and consider that they, that may be happening because we're the true source of the problem? We're the one, the way we're treating people, the way we're not showing honor to people is actually causing them to diminish. We're, push, we're playing king of the hill and we're pushing people down the hill and wondering why they're rolling down the hill because we are not giving honor. And this is what Peter is telling us to put away here. He's saying put away these four specific things. Let me tell you the four things he's telling us to put away and how they show up in our life. First he says this, put away the tool of malice. Do not, do not take it out anymore. Those of you who had kids, how many times you had to say, put that away. Put that away. It's not time for that. Put that up. Put it away. That's what Peter is literally saying here. He's like, put that up. It's no good. Don't use it. No value. Put it up. And the first thing he tells us to put up is malice. And malice is his intent to injure and impede other people. It's our way of trying to slow people down, to handicap or hamper them. This can be done by using very stinging words, right? The more you know somebody, the easier it is just to slide a phrase or a thought or a concept into a conversation where you know it just digs in just a little bit. You're like, oh, did I say that? I didn't mean that. 
You just put it in there. But as, as hard as words can be sometimes, I want you to hear this, malice can be just as impactful by the absence of words, by not saying certain things, by withholding certain words in people, by not saying, I love you, I forgive you, I care for you. You're like, what, well, you know that. It can still sting just as much by holding it back. Malice is like seeing someone struggle. And instead of helping them up, you shove them back down. What malice is. Peter's saying, put that away. That's not what honorable people do to people that are worthy of honor. Put that away. But then he says this. Also put away deceit. What is deceit? It is the intent to trick or fool someone. It's not just laying a trap for someone and hoping they walk into it. It's laying a trap and then leading them down the pathway toward it. That's what deceit is. You know what's going to happen. I, I remember growing up, we used to do this thing called, uh, at a school called Spooks and Spaghetti. It was like an a elementary uh, 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 haunted house. And uh, I'd help set it up, and I loved playing a part in it. PJ did one at his school later on. Like, to do this, you knew what was happening. Like, you would follow people, and you'd be like, they're about to get scared out of their minds right around this corner. And you're like, oh, go this way, go this way. That's almost what deceit is. It's we see a trap coming, we set it, and we push people in that direction. Deceit is seeing a pathway of harm and not just making it look attractive for someone, but slapping them on the back and saying, have a good time as you go. What deceit is? Peter says, put that away. Don't do it. Don't trick people. Be honest in your dealings. The third thing he says to put away is this. Put away hypocrisy, the tool of hypocrisy. This is knowing the truth, but choosing to act in a very different way from it. While while deceit is often hidden, hypocrisy is more open and obvious, and thus it can be much more painful to the recipient. It isn't that I don't know how to love, I don't know how to forgive, it's that I'm just choosing not to do it for you. I'm choosing to say I, I deserve love and forgiveness, but I'm going to withhold it from you. It's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is a tool to cut the legs out from people who are honorable creations of God. And it's how we stop being honorable. And it's like, if you'll do this, then I'll forgive you. If you do this, then I'll love you. But we still withhold it, right? Like we don't give it quite enough. I've got more if you'll do more. It's dangling the carrot, right? Just put it out in front of them. There's more love for me if you do this. There's forgiveness if you'll finally do this. And we just drag people along. That's hypocrisy. Peter says, put it away. The last tool that Peter says to put away is this, slander. Slander is the most obvious of all these tools. And it is the desire to defame the name and character of someone else. There's no hidden agenda. There's no desire to show restraint. The simple goal is to cause as much pain and destruction in someone's life as possible. It is the mother of all bombs, right? It is the big explosion that you like to drop in somebody's life to just tear up as much as you can in their life. That's slander. Cut it who they are, what they're about, where they find their value, where they find their identity, and you just cut it as hard as you can. It, it is the, one of the most painful things we can do to people that we care about or people even that we are just getting to know. Peter says, put it away. Put it away. He even said, and there he says, do this so that by it, you may begin to grow up into salvation. 
You may begin to grow into your salvation, grow into what God's doing in your life. And I love how we close here. I'm going to close with this last point found in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It says this. It says, so put away all these things and instead embrace this, the truth that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not his people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying, you, you missed all the, you, you weren't this, now you are, now it's time for you to take what you have and give it to others. And I want you to see what he says. These four things, hear how they counteract what he just told us to put away. He says, you're a chosen race. Do you know what that means? It means we all come from a common source. We see others not as different or competing. What we see is as part of the same team, same tribe. We have no desire to harm. This defeats malice. Understanding that we are a common race defeats malice. It says we are royal priesthood. Priests speak truth. Priests go before you for God. It says we are not just connected to the power of truth, but we share it and lead others just as priests did. We lead them to the truth. This defeats deceit. We're not trying to trick people. We're trying to lead them to the truth. Then he says you're a holy nation. A nation is, this is not a nation that's looking to conquer and exploit, but instead it's one that acts with holiness as its guide. The ends don't justify the means. The path is just as important as the destination. And this defeats hypocrisy because we're clear on our motives and clear on our directions. And then finally he says that you are his people. You are God's chosen people. And we see one another as God created us. In his image, including the honor and value that God placed on every person. And we do nothing to tarnish this image in others. And this defeats slander. When we realize we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that are his people, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and slander will subside. They'll be put away as we begin to live as God intended. My question for you today is this. Will you look up first and see that God has been trying not to get your attention by putting stumbling stones in your path? He's trying to get your attention to say, come back to me. Would you look up? Maybe you've been walking through life and things aren't going your way. And would you say, maybe God's been trying to get my attention by putting some stumbling blocks in my path? Would you look up and say, God, I want you and allow him to become the cornerstone again instead of a stumbling block? But then would you, secondly, would you look around? Are you being a stumbling stone in the life of somebody else? Are you allowing malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and slander to be your daily tools? Or are you living as a chosen race, a royal priest, a holy nation that is the chosen people of God? Honor God by allowing him to be your cornerstone and honor others by being that cornerstone in their life. Will you pray with me?